All right, all right, all right. How's everyone doing? This is Brock. Thank you so much for tuning in to Back to Your Story, a podcast about real people and real stories. Today we have on someone really fucking special. I'm just going to lay it out there. Really fucking special. I had to say fuck two times to just really hit that high note, right? Um, I grew up watching this dude. I, uh, I, you know, Jackass and CKY. I mean, these guys were fucking legendary. That's three fucks already. Um, it was, you know, I, I don't know. The, the man that I have on today is Brandon Novak. And to hear his story everything he's gone through, the ups, the downs, the downs, the ups, the being and shit, finding his way out to getting right back into the shit to miraculously finding his way out is fucking mind blowing. You know, we all go through struggle and strife, some more, some less. And it's the ones that have the ability to find them, you know, the, the ones that have the ability to find their way out when they're so when they when they're head deep in it it just blows my mind away you know his story you would think right from the outset was just all glitz and glam but that's not usually how it is it's a life led of of always trying to one up the next it's a life led of trying to do this drug to the next drug to take it to the max everything is the max with this man but in 2021, he's sober, he's clean, and he's here to tell his story, here to set the record straight. And, uh, you know, I, I, when I was trying to set this up, I didn't know where it was going to go. I didn't even think it was going to happen. But uh, lo and behold, Brandon definitely came on. And, um, yeah, it, it was a real honor. This, was, this one was a good one, people. This one was a good one. So I'm going to shut the heck up and let's get the game going. Without further ado, here's the story of Brandon Novak. From the land of mystery, where dreams become reality, always listening to stories from the past, the present, and the future, this is back to your story. running now yeah, yeah we're oh, running wow. we're running Fuck, we're I running love we're just rolling, rolling dog. It, we're just dude. rolling dude we're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's just smooth like butter yeah, i like it oh. nice and fast yes yeah that's the way I like. <laughs> gosh um but yeah yeah growing up man I, I i i watched all your stuff and i apologize for that <laughs> get that out of the way <laughs> nah man you guys inspired a generation of, of of kids and it's just um i know you've been through a lot and 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 you've definitely come out on uh, on top if you will uh and and you're very inspirational right and so when i reached out to you i wasn't sure if you were going to respond back to me i'm i'm i guess i'm always amazed when people do because i'm just really appreciative right and sure. uh and and so when you said you'd come on it, it did it, me- it meant a lot to me so so thank you very much I've no, I, people say, you know, does it, does it get overwhelming? Do you get annoyed? Do you get tired of, you know, people's attention? And, and, and to be quite honest, the, the, the real answer is I'm grateful anyone gives a fuck. You know yes, what I mean? Yeah. Um, so with that being said, and one of the things that I really pride myself on is, is being as, as open and transparent and, and as accessible as, as one could be. Yeah. 
because what I've been so grateful and blessed to have the ability to do today is to use the platform that I've built from pre-existing work and new ventures as well um, to deliver my message. Yeah. You know, and um, the really rad thing about it is is that I, I never planned on, on doing any of that to get here and I never intended on it. I, I never wanted to do it. I, I, I could never have seen this in my future, but the honest to God truth is that, that, those things that I did in the past, good and bad, they were just such a, a vessel to get me to literally at 42 years old, the best place I've ever been in, in my life. And, and not, and, and when I say, that, I mean, physically, mentally, spiritually, financially, you name it, I'm aces. And in retrospect, looking back, it, there's no reason I should have survived yeah. to be here. So, you know, People often ask, how are you? How, how, how are things doing? How are things going? And my stock answer is uh, I'm way better than I deserve. Because <laughs> if, if justice was due, I'd be dead years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for me to get to where I'm at now and, and forget how I got here or who helped me get to here doesn't make sense. Hence me being as open and, and transparent and accessible as possible. Yeah. When you when you look back at your life, right, and 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 you said you you shouldn't be here, right? What does that really mean to you, right? The, the thought of like, I I know if I continued on this path, I, I'd be dead today. Sure. Right? Internally, what does that what does that mean to you? Well, you know, I, even when I hear people say it, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I get it. You shouldn't have been. You, you should have died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the honest to God truth is, and and I have this documentary coming out that will verify what i'm saying uh, and i think my story holds depth and weight you can see it in the tabloids on the internet in the books like you can just google it um my days consisted for i'd say 18 years of waking up every morning and coming up with as much money as i could possibly find to inject as much heroin as i could use yeah. on a daily basis you know, so every day, I, I mean, I lived to get as high as I possibly could. I didn't, I wasn't like uh, conservative, you know, yeah. I, I didn't shoot dope like a gentleman. You know, every day I woke up with one mission on my mind to get as much heroin as I could possibly find to shoot into my arm. Yeah. You know, and that right there equals death. Absolutely. A hundred percent. for 18 years straight, that was it. Yeah. You know, that's, it's, yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> when you when you uh, when you look back at that that moment, do you remember the first time you ever shot up? Um, I do, but it wasn't like you know. I talk about this often when with my addiction. My story is my story, and, yeah. and it won't be hers or his or theirs. And when I was a kid, I had goals, I had dreams, I had aspirations, I had ambitions. Yeah. Right. As, as a matter of fact, skateboarding did for me at a very young age what drugs and alcohol did for me at a later age. I got I my that. first skateboard at the age of seven. And um, that night when my mother put me to bed, she said, Brandon, what would you like me to do with the skateboard? And I said, I want it in bed with me. And she said, why? And I said, because if I die, I want it to go with me. Wow. I meant that. I, I, it was kind of like the equivalent of, of, of God coming out of the sky and handing someone the Holy Grail. You know, the the moment that board touched my hand, I knew I had found the ultimate reason for which I was brought into this earth. And um, 
So you give me that skateboard at the age of seven, you put me in a room with the world's prettiest models. I'll not only believe that they've been waiting for me, but they're dying to marry me, <laughs> right? But later on, drugs and alcohol produce that same effect. Yes. This delusional false narrative yes. that made me feel secure, confident. Yeah. Um, and so I, it wasn't like the first time I had shot up or sniffed that line or ate that pill or drank that bottle that I, I had had that aha moment. Like this is now, I have now found the reason for which I will jump out of bed for every morning with the lust for life. Yeah. That's not it because the skateboarding did that for me. And, but I do remember now because a series of events that led up to the particular moment that I was shot up. And what that looked like is I had already obviously been sniffing heroin for an extended period of time. If anyone's familiar with my work, so in my book, Dream Seller, there's a character in there named Alexia who's my first girlfriend. And yeah, um, her and I were driving through Lock Raven Reservoir in Baltimore and, and, and she had nodded out at the wheel and, and my head, and I was high, my head went through the windshield and I had all these staples and, and I came to in the hospital and uh, I was sick right? Cause I, I didn't have the heroin that I was used to using. Yeah. And, and, and I had, she had had my connection come up to the hospital. And at the time I had all these IVs. So he literally just went into the IV that was already feeding me oh. the fluids. And that was my first initial introduction to, wow. And wow. I didn't even do it, you know? So it wasn't like I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. here, hit me. It was I was there. It was, let's just say it was very convenient. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. So wait, up until that point, you were just like smoking it or snorting it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when, for you, where does it, where does, where does your story story start? Right. You said you were seven years old. I mean, even the thought of at seven years old, thinking about death, right. You were very in, not, I don't know if the word's intuitive, but you, you, you definitely looked inside yourself uh, to even have those types of thoughts because a normal seven-year-old just wants to live, have fun, do this, do that, right? But yeah. for you, like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die on my skateboard. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it came from the, the home that I was brought up in, right? Now, now if you would have asked me at, at 30 days sober, 60 days sober, six months sober, I, about what my upbringing looked like, I would have told you it was the most debilitating household a, a child could ever be brought up in. No one should experience what I experienced. Yeah. Then, today, at coming up on six years sober, I've, in that interim, I, I've finally done the internal work that was required in order to get the external results that I've always desired, meaning this peace, this freedom, this serenity, yeah. you know? Um, and in that time doing that work, what I've come to understand is that I, I came from a, a very good home with two loving parents that did the best that they could with what they had. Yeah. That's the truth. I've learned to take responsibility for my actions. There we go. Right? There's no longer do I deflect, minimize, justify my behaviors that landed me in my position. And, and when I did do those things, it, it it, it it allowed me to procrastinate on the on the process. Yeah. And what I've learned in my 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 journey is that procrastination is like masturbation. You only fuck yourself. Yes, yes, yes. So so, so <laughs> with that being said, my my father, my mother was a a nuclear physicist on the board of Mercy Hospital. Um, wow. My father never held a job a day in his life. He taught me one thing: if and when I go to prison, how to conduct myself. Holy 
Ran with the Hells Angels, rather unsavory kind of fella, if you will. Okay. You know, so at the age of seven, he would take me to the strip joint and he would go in the back and conduct his business. And the pretty dancing girls would sit me on a stool and they would pour me shots of ginger ale and Coca-Cola. <laughs> I would do the shots. The women would applaud. My father would give me that look of approval. You know, so wow. my take is that I was genetically predisposed to my disease. My father was and his father was. I'm the only one by my father, my brother, and my sister are by a different man. So no issues with them. But so, so not only was I genetically predisposed, I, I witnessed this, right? Yeah. I absorbed it as a sponge coming up. And, and, and the things that I search for today that, that are very near and dear to my heart are things like security, stability, longevity. Yes. You know, so the things that I didn't have as a child, which I think brought that kind of perspective into my life. Because at any given moment, Things could fucking get gnarly. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, people don't realize, and maybe a lot do, but a lot don't. The those early years of your life will determine a lot yeah. of what your life will become. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people growing up uh, in, in let's say let's say your situation um, will continue down that negative path. But to be able to break that mold, you said your father, his father before him had that issue, right? Yeah. But by you, everything that you've gone through, and then to break that mold, it it, it, it eventually, hopefully, will change. If you ever have kids or down that, you don't have any kids, right? No, do, right. No. Um, you know, at least for me, like I look internally and everything that I personally went through, right? I, I went on this path where I was following what my what my parents did, right? And sure. so it comes to a point where I'm like, no, enough's enough. I need to be different. I need to change that. Right? Unbeknownst to me, was I on that? Path. You know, exactly. maybe you can relate. Like 100%. I didn't even. You, know, my father was the guy that I, I hated the most in life. Yeah. No bullshit. I, you know, I, I live with that after school special or cautionary tale of what not to become. Yeah. And as I, I actually made it a point to excel in everything that I did to prove a point that I would never be that fucking bum. Lo and behold, I became that man yeah. tenfold almost, even towards the way that he treated my mother when he was still here. Obviously here's, he succumbed to his addiction. He's no longer with us. Yeah. Um, but I, and I didn't even see it. Yeah. You know, you I, don't know. I was so you caught don't. up in it. Yes. How, how old were you when he passed? Uh, this is probably, you know, I did an interview not too long ago and they, they brought up spring break and i'm like fuck i've been on spring break for like 18 years so, so with that being said my timelines are tough okay but roughly 10 years okay so you're like in your 30s right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i lost my, my father passed away when i was 17 years old right okay. and so it doesn't matter at what age right your father's your father um but you know looking back at your life those those things you know taking those shots being in the strip club at seven years old it sets you up for well what you the path that you went down yeah but your mom being a nuclear uh, physicist, right? Yeah. That's incredible. Well, that's kind of the complexity. That's crazy. Of, and it's the, the, the juxtaposition. That's, yeah. that's the complexity of my story. So my, my mother's a nuclear physicist on the board of Mercy Hospital. Yeah. My father dies a direct result of the disease of addiction. Never had a job. Ran with the Hells Angels. Rather unsavory kind of guy, if you will. My brother's an attorney in the White House who practices pensions and benefits. <sighs> you know, so, so not only... Did I live with the after school special, the cautionary tale of what not to do, what not to become? I, I, I witnessed from a very young age the psychic chase, the, the psychic change that takes place in a person once they ingest a drink or a drug. Because yeah. Jerome was a great guy. Everybody loved Jerome. But when he didn't come home to make dinner at 5.30, we knew that when we heard the keys hit the lock at 3, 3.30, we shook like leaves. Yeah. The psychic change would take place. The ingestion happened of him, you know. Yep. So I, I knew. I, yeah. Ignorance was no longer bliss. I knew, which meant I was to be held accountable. Um, but, but it, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's crazy because I also 
saw the great in humanity. Yeah. I saw my mother. I saw my brother. I saw my sister. And and I knew good from bad, right from wrong. I saw it. Yeah, of course. Of <laughs> course. Know? Of course. Of course. Of course. But even when it's smack dab in our face, right? Yeah. It's we still go down that path. A lot sure. of us do, right? Um I want to kind of bring back to your story. You're seven yeah. years old. You get your skateboard, right? Do you remember that moment you got that skateboard? I'll never forget it. I'll never, ever, ever. Tell me a little bit about it. I was um I was I was in Ocean City, Maryland. And my sister lived in Ocean City, Maryland at the time. And um, the Third Street Bowl, uh, it's, there's, there's a vert ramp and there's like a bowl on the third, on third Street in Ocean City, Maryland. And me being from Baltimore, that's where we would vacation every year. But also me having the, the home that I came from with a father whose behaviors were very erratic and sporadic. My mother, my mother started off at the hospital at the age of 15, drawing blood for $5 a pop, a phlebotomist, if you will. So that paired with a father who was around just enough to let us know he wasn't around. My mother didn't really want to leave me at home because you never knew what was going to walk through the door. So she would bring me to the hospital. I was raised in the hospital with her while she worked her way up the ladder. It's like this dude. Yeah. Same way. Mine was just in radiology. Yeah. My yeah. mom, you know, she did PET scans, CAT scans, all I'm that radio. MRI tech. Yeah. yeah. So that's the deal. You know the deal. Yeah. 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 And I grew up... I was my mom's darkroom tech when she was yeah. I would go process the films. All the other techs would bring Absolutely. them to me. Absolutely. Like, oh, you're here. I was a helper at seven years old. I'm. I know exactly what you're talking exactly. about. I think we, you know, that's kind of that's so crazy. Hundred that percent. Yeah. That's so crazy. Your hat's in the, the camera. Just let you know. Yeah. yeah. Totally. So you know, I was raised in the hospital by all her coworkers. I I was raised in the parking garage, skating the little banked walls. <sighs> you know, and and um, so. So with that skateboard, I, I knew that that was going to be my deal. I, I was the kind of guy from a very young age that if I believed it, I could see it. It yeah. didn't have to be the other way around. And um, skateboarding already was the only consistent thing that kept showing up in my life that, that raised me, that, that got me, taught me friends, taught me friendships, taught me how to fail, taught me how to succeed. It just taught me all these life lessons that I didn't know at the time. Yeah. And then at 14, I was the, the first skateboarder ever in, to be endorsed by Gatorade. Wow. You know, at 15, I'm, I'm uh, designing my prototype shapes for PAL, and, and I'm touring, you know, doing tours around the world. At 15 years old. Yeah. At With 15, Mike Vallali and all these dudes. The le- OGs, man. The yeah. freaking legends. The, the, the ones that created what we have today in skateboarding, right? Because I, I, I'm from Baltimore. You know, Bucky Lasik is from yeah. Baltimore. And that's like, he was my mentor. He was my best friend as a child. And, and that's who took me under his wing. that's just like so incredible right because like there's there's so many of you that came out of that that era that just really changed skateboarding forever um but being 15 years old what did what did your mom think like you 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 14 gets signed by gatorade right 15 you start to tour like what did what do what do parents think did they have to come with you did you go on your own well that's i think you know and i'm not putting any of my situation on those blessings in my life but i think it you know it it paired well for my particular story which was a recipe for ultimate disaster because yeah. there was no accountability there was no one that i like checked in my 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 boss per se was my team captain who was in santa barbara todd hastings who i would call and be like yo i i got this trick yo I, and i would have to 
get like two or three dollars and quarters and go to the payphone. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was that era. Um, so that was, you know, there wasn't someone that got to see me, my behaviors, my actions. Yes. You know, five days, however that looks. What, what do you think though? Because I remember speaking with Colin, right? And he he started touring at a very young age too. Yeah. Right. And even you look at like m- musicians that tour at a young age, you know, the Biebers or even Demi Lovato, right? It's just like, from the outset, right? Amazing, right? Just an incredible experience. But do you think it's too young? Well, I, I think for me is is that it because I was so successful at a sung, uh, because I was so successful at such a young age, it, it looked like I had it together, and there was a method to my madness. And Brandon knew what Brandon was doing. Yeah, if he didn't, he wouldn't have made it this far. So it was very good then. But I think. A lot of factors pair into this, but left to my own devices, it allowed me to derail. And and finally, when I was so far off the rails, it was too late for me to be reeled back in because people believed that there was a method to my madness because I was successful to that point. Right. You know, yeah. I wasn't the kid that had to be in when the street lights came on. Yeah. Um, you know, I was raised skating with older skaters. Yes. Right. Yeah. I, they would travel. They would take me. I was the little one. And, and you know. Yeah, that's just how it was. I mean, but you're at that age, you're so easily influenced, right? Yeah, so easily influenced. Everyone's just having a good time. They don't, they don't think about what's going to happen down the road. And especially now, there wasn't a lot of conversations like this back then. Totally, you know, none, the, none whatsoever. And so now it's a lot more in the forefront. But uh, still, that doesn't change being so young. Because I mean, I remember uh, being, you know, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old, and just going fucking crazy right but i still had to be home when the you know the 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 the, the street lights came on sure well right um having that direction and that guidance can make the difference but at the end of the day it, it does it's completely up to us right? yeah we're we're in, we're in control of our own life um so when you're 15 years old you're touring right what came after that like when did really things really start to pop off for you Oddly enough, addiction came <laughs> directly go. after that, right? So that's that's the craziness in my story. Not even my story, but my my life on a day-to-day basis. We were talking about it before we walked yeah. in here. I went from from 7 to 15 to 16 uh, skateboarding. I ate it. I breathed it. I slept it. I dreamt it. I became everything I had dreamed of becoming. Yeah. If I were to have died at that young age, I would have been the happiest kid on the planet because I had achieved everything I wanted plus some. Wow. Literally. And then- on tour is when I was confronted uh, because I got caught with a lot of drugs by Vallali. And he's like, dude, get off, get rid of the drugs or get off the tour. And I, I flushed the drugs down the sewer, finished the demo, went back to the hotel, met some chick at the hotel. She drove me back to the sewer. I fished the drugs out. Holy shit. Long story short, I get caught with the drugs. I'm kicked off the tour. <laughs> and then, you know, a few days later, I get a phone call from the team captain. And he said, you know, we have one of two options we can do with you. We can we can put you into treatment. You can save your life and continue to escape from power. And, or you can quit the team. And now from 7 to, to 16, I ate it. I breathed it. I slept it. I dreamt it. It was, it was, it was the end all be all. And all of a sudden, so what I was telling you in the beginning, like I, I don't remember the really the first time I ingested yeah. a drink or a drug because I had, goals, dreams, aspirations, ambitions. But what I do remember, just like touching this table, is the first time that someone attempted to stand between me and it. Yep. And you're going to hear in my story that anyone, anyone that stands between me and it must and will go. Yep. And it's not personal. It really isn't. It's just business. Of course. And the first time someone attempted to stand between it was, 
you know, Mike Vallali, which then transcended into the team captain from Pal. And now at 16, I'm giving this ultimatum, go to treatment, save my life, continue to skate for Pal or, or quit the team. And I don't have a breath of fresh air in my lungs when I say I quit. Wow. <laughs> at the time, I could not recognize the severity or the complexity of the disease from which I've been possessed with called addiction. Yes. But in retrospect, what I've learned today is my life is live forward and learn backwards. Okay. Right. So, so today, current date, it's so clear seeing what was going on then and the, the, the disconnection from reality and or abnormality, the psychic change had already taken place yes. where the abnormal had become the normal at fucking 16. And, uh, when I just thought like, I'm just partying, fucking yeah. having fun. Already, yeah. it was so deeply instilled within me. It was ingrained in you, dude. It was and I and I had no idea. I was like, I was like uh, Bambi frolicking in a nice open field with like a million hunters and rifles with the scopes right in his fucking face, and I'm just like, ha you know what I mean? Like That's just crazy, that ignorant, right? Like so, what could have been done though? Could have anything? Nothing. 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 So when when you look back though, there there are kids going through very similar things. What can be done? There has to be something. Well, I think, and again, it's funny because we kind of start in certain ways and we go down these different rabbit holes. Yeah. Um, but coming back to how we started, using my platform from who I was to who I am for a specific reason is, is one of the ways that we figure out what can be done because that's the common most question asked, right? What can we do? How do we fix it? it, it I, I, with particularly the disease of addiction, you know, how do we lift the stigma? How do we lift the stigma? Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending upon your perception, the stigma is lifting because the death toll is rising. 100%. Hence us being here having this conversation. So then the next question that usually follows is, well, what do we do? If we knew what to do, we could bottle that, solution up and be a billionaire a billion times over. Yep. So I'm a big fan of, of doing anything yep. and fucking learning from it if it does or does not work. So what I've chose to do is use my platform that I've built off of who I was and who I am and what I'm doing to, to deliver this message, right? Because what I've learned, and this is all just, this is not educated guesses or hypothesis. This is actual fucking evidence from my life and my experience coming from a, a 24 year active addict and alcoholic yeah. who, who, who had one year uh, of remission due to incarceration. So it was by force, not by choice that I took that sabbatical from the fucking needle. Right. Fucking uh, because I knew better than to catch a yeah. debt in the joint. Cause like that's Fuck a fucking up. whole other game. But, um, so what I've, what I've learned is that when I put my hand up and I say, hi, my name is Brandon. I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. All that simply means is that I'm defiant by nature. I hate authority and I'll never, ever, ever conform unless it becomes my idea. Yes. Because I possess this job that places me in a lot of positions I don't like to be in and a lot of feelings I don't like to feel. And that job consists of knowing everything. Yes. So when you kindly suggest to me what I should do to better my life, I kindly suggest why you should fuck off. I get that. Because I know. Yes, it's your so, life. Yeah. So so with that being said, right, uh, again, I'm no fool. I, I, I pride myself on being an outside the box thinker. I've taken a look at my life from then to now. And I just thought to myself, how can I get this message across to an audience generally that I'm speaking to that is defiant by nature, hates authority and will never conform. So how the fuck do I get people to conform that already don't want to conform? Right. So yeah. I already have a whole thing against me and this is my mass. This yes. is my people. How do I get this through to them? And I, I figured it out because it was what worked for me unbeknownst to me at the time, right? Live forward, learn backwards. 
if I use my platform, my masses, my combined social media presence, along with a lot of other ways to get my content out there that reaches over like two and a half million, um, if I use that platform to deliver a message of promise, hope, and freedom, one that does not consist of a drink or a drug, in a form of attraction rather than promotion, if I can deliver this message and make it so desirable, so appealing, so attractive, so much so that like the people that are receiving it want to fuck it. Yes. Then you win. Then I win. Yeah. Because if I can get them to the point where they say, if that guy can do it, Again, going yes. back to the beginning, yes. my story has depth and weight. You can look at it on the books, on the yes. internet. If, if that guy can do it, there's no reason why I can't. 100%. And then I, I conveniently leave my number at the bottom. I love that. You I know, love so that. It's, I love that. I it's love just that. fucking smoke and mirror shit. Of course, of course. But um, a lot of times, uh, you know, people in, in America, there's about 40,000 opiate deaths, right? Um, a, a year, roughly, yeah. right? Uh, but we have 100,000 alcohol-related uh, deaths, yeah. right? We're really focused on these opiate deaths, and a lot of times they're happening because of they're laced with fentanyl because of mm-hmm. you know the the, the legal system in, in America. Um, if you look back at prohibition in the 1920s, a lot of people were dying from tainted alcohol. Mm-hmm. Tens of thousands of people. What happened? They obviously legalized it again. Uh, the mafia was created out of that, and the deaths went down, but then they went up because of addiction and things of that nature and DUIs. Focusing on on addiction is so important in America, but to get to the root of the issue, a lot of times, isn't it, you know, related to people not having jobs, family shit, you know, not having a path. I remember myself, right? I, I was going down a gnarly path after my father passed away. I didn't have any direction. I didn't have any guidance. I had nothing. So I was just partying and fucking my life up. And then eventually someone lent out a hand. And by a gentleman named Robert Reed, and it's the company that I I I'm the that I run this day. And he showed me guidance. He gave me the ability to say, Hey Brock, you can do it if you want to, right? And by doing that, it changed my entire fucking life. Mm-hmm. You know, they say in, in in this life, right, there'll be three people that can help you get to the next level, but most people won't even see one. Yeah. So we have a whole system in America of 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 kids and adults where no one's lending a hand and it's like addiction is bad. We're going to lock people up in jail. No, it's a fucking disease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get to the root of the issue. I I just had this really, it's funny you're saying this. I just, I was in New York yesterday and I did this interview and with like MSNBC and, and I was talking to them and, and I said, unfortunately, it's been misdiagnosed. hundred percent. You've missed the problem. Yeah. The, the problem has nothing to do with the drink or the drug. No. It, 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 as a matter of fact, it's the, actually the exact opposite. The drink and the drug is merely the solution to the problem. Yeah. The problem is the thinking, the attitude, and the behavior. Exactly. Right. So if I just simply sit down my glass of wine, it's not a matter of if I'll pick it back up. It's when I'll pick it back up because I've done no work on the problem, probably diagnosing the problem at hand, which is me. Yes. The thing that lies between my two ears. So until I work on having that psychic change, which which is is the exact definition of a spiritual experience, right? For me, I had that spiritual experience, which allowed the psychic change to take place. So now like a drink or a drug doesn't even cross my mind unless I'm talking about it. And that's nothing shy. Of, of me simply being divinely inconvenienced just enough in a million different ways to create a big enough gap in my mind to have that moment of clarity to see how fucked my life was. But until until we can 
uncover the real problem in order to discover the problem in hopes to recover from the problem, we have to fucking diagnose it properly. We do. And we it's, do. It's we do. not the drink or the drug. No, it's you not. Know? It it's, is definitely not. And people are looking at it no. such the wrong way, right? <laughs> and, and because of this, because of the fucking legal system that we have in America, the criminal justice in America, look at what has happened. The cartel has fucking grown, mm -hmm. right? You look back at the 20s, right? In the 30s, right? The mafia grew, yeah. right? And that's going to continue to happen as we classify these drugs as, as this is the reason this is the reason no it is not the fucking reason yeah it's everything behind that reason is the person um so it, it, it's just crazy but i always uh, I, I i appreciate and i i am inspired by people like yourself right that are open and honest calling open and honest right yeah because we have trials and tribulations up down up down all around but you just like they say you know one day at a time you just have to fucking it. do it man. and that that's how we that's how i believe we can attempt to begin changing the world yes i can't change a million at a time but what i can do is change one person one person helps another person two now help four four help eight eight help 16 before you know it you're creating this movement this change yeah. that's actually like showing up on the radar absolutely you know so what i i don't talk to people i don't talk at people i simply talk with people there we go right we we we, we meet where you're at yes. I, i'm not coming from a position of being in an authority authoritative figure right yeah. like like we're here eye to eye we're gonna figure this thing out together yes. you know it's it's just, it it's a very simple program for very complicated people. Yes. <laughs> you know, it is. I, I'm, I'm, I'm too smart for my own good. And, and, and if I get ahead of myself, I will outthink myself out of any sensible decision that Dude, I'm about come, to make. Come on, man. Uh, you said the story just a little bit ago, how you flush the toilet or flush the drugs down the toilet. Mm -hmm. And then you got the drugs out of the fucking sewer. Yeah. Right? How many people out there that, that have, you know, have this disease, right. That are so fucking smart. And if they utilize their powers, uh, in, instead of, you know, trying to get drugs but other things in their life my gosh it would just be it would be amazing right but it is like people like yourself that are you know just it's not being like this is what you have to do if you don't fucking do it then you're fucking lost no yeah. it's we're together in this dude I, and i think that's you know if you ask me how to conduct brain surgery i have no idea if, if you ask me the best way to prepare your taxes this year i don't know but what i do know through and through is the disease of alcoholism and addiction. Yep. So like, it makes sense to me why someone would much prefer to continue living the way they're living. However that looks with whatever they're using, as opposed to accepting my help to get help. Yes. Like, I've seen me do it. Yes. Right. So it's, I always say, you know, there's, there's, there's not much I haven't seen tried or did to, to get another one. And there's not much I haven't seen tried or did to get sober. Yeah. Right? The, the really the only thing that I had never done to, in hopes to acquire another bag was homicide. And, yeah. and it wasn't because I'm like not cut from that cloth, that dude. It's just the reality is the opportunity never presented itself. Yeah. And, that's and, crazy. So, and I'm, so I'm very upfront and I'm very descriptive and I'm very graphic with my story because the moment that I forget where I come from, the pain that brought me here, you know, I, I'll, I'll forget of and course. I'll go right back to doing what I did. I've seen me do it. Yeah. Yeah, we have to be honest with ourselves, right? Too many people like to have these covers over themselves. And, and we live in a day and age where it's like social media and this like fucking facade that yeah. is over everything. And it's, you have to be internal. You have to be real. Uh, we can't get caught up in this bullshit. And especially when you have this disease, it's going to take you down past until you really realize that you are the person <laughs> and not the fucking drug. No, there's no money, property, or prestige that will allow me to 
change the way that I feel, no. think, or view myself. No. I've seen me try to do yes. it. Yes, yes. I've seen yeah. me try. But that's the cool thing. I was broken so bad. I, I was finally demoralized in just such a fashion from drugs and alcohol. I was beaten into that state of reasonableness. To, to, so ultimately, the pain had become great enough that I, I had turned into a human sponge and I was willing to do anything that they suggested. And I remembered everything they told me in early sobriety, AKA like the first 30 days. I stayed in treatment for 90 days. I was kind of an extreme case. Yeah. But but they told me simple little things like, if you stick to the basics, God willing, you never have to go back to the basics. Yeah. You know, I took heed to that. I still yeah. see my same therapist that I saw in treatment privately today. I wake up every morning, I make my bed. Yes. Like just simple little things. If you walked in my house three days in a row and my bed was not made, a problem's fucking coming. Yep. And to other people, like, ah, oh, it's no big deal. Dude, I'm no. telling you some shit, man. It's structure. Yes. It is systems. Listen, man, I I I suffer from manic bipolar disorder, right? Yeah. And if when I don't have structure and I don't have systems, mm -hmm. I fucking slip, dude. Big I time. slip, right? And so it's just keeping that shit tight and in line. So it's like I, I can respect that, right? Get up every morning, make your fucking yeah. bed. Yeah. Right. Go see your therapist every single week, even yeah. the weeks that you don't want to see them. Totally. I do the same. Like, do there are weeks where I'm like, I don't want to fucking see Brandon. Yeah, but yeah. then I get there and I sit down and start talking. I'm like, this is why I'm fucking. It all here. makes. Sense. This is why I'm here, right? <laughs> yeah. So to bring it back to your story, you're 16, 17 years old, right? You get kicked off the team or you quit, right? Yeah. What happens next? So now I'm kind of living at home. I am living at home with my mother and my girlfriend, and you know, with this newfound freedom, the sabbatical that I find myself on. I, Things aren't happening, right? Tours aren't being booked. Flights aren't being scheduled. Packages are no longer being sent. Yeah. Video parts are no longer being produced. Uh, because those simple things in life require me to have conversations with, with words that consist of like honest, reliable, and dependable. And again, anything, uh, the, those things are never going to help me get one more. So I avoid it like the plague. Yeah. And, Again, this is all in retrospect. I didn't understand it at the time, but I know I've learned it and I see it now. What I didn't know then is that I already had this delusional alcoholic brain, this this one that lied to me in my own voice that would make me believe the unbelievable. Yeah. Right. So, so what that brain would tell me is that like the skateboarding world needs me. It cannot go on without me, and I am an asset. Wow. Right. And in reality, it did not need me. It went on quite fine without me, and I'm a liability. But unfortunately, I'm the last person to understand that because I possess that job that consists of knowing everything. So about two months into this newfound freedom, my mother and my girlfriend come to me and they say, we have a great idea for you. And I, and I said, what's that? They said, we want you to go to treatment. And now I had just politely declined this offer from, from, from my gods, you know, my, my, my everything. And, 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 and one would think, well, why would he accept it now? But again, the psychic change had taken place, the abnormal has already become the normal. Yeah. I said, you know what? That's a great idea. A, I have the time. And B, I'm going to report to said treatment center. I'll report back to those two. Yeah. And my mom, I go, Why I'm not those fucking nut jobs, nor will I ever be. This is all just an overreaction at best. Yeah. You've simply called me at a bad time on yeah. a bad way and a bad day. <laughs> so I go into that facility, that very first facility at the ripe young age of 17 with a closed mind and a closed heart, comparing out, proving a point why I don't belong. Wow. Right? Not looking for the, the similarities, completely focusing on the differences. Yeah. 17 years old, my mother and my girlfriend, they dropped me off. As quick as they dropped me off, they fucking take off. And uh, this, this really nice, beautiful woman comes outside. She says, are you Mr. Novak? I said, yeah. She said, okay, come inside. Let's get your paperwork started. She takes me in and she takes me to this 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 big cafeteria. And the cafeteria is completely empty. There's, there's not a soul in sight. And there's these 
really bright interrogation style lights shining down on me. I'm, I'm like ill as a research monkey. I'm trying to understand what I'm doing here, why I'm here. And, and out of nowhere, this older black gentleman walks in and he, and he walks directly up to me. He said, white boy, what are you doing here? I said, heroin. He said, how old are you? I said, 17. He said, do yourself a favor and don't turn 18 in a place like this. And as quick as he came, he left. He nor I had no idea the significance of that conversation was ever going to have with my life. Wow. Keep in mind, prove a point. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm comparing out, proving a point why I don't belong, looking at all the differences, not the similarities. Yeah. You know, I could tell you about that older gentleman where the four teeth were placed in his mouth because at the time I had all mine. Wow. He's 70 to 75. I'm 17. He's black. I'm white. He smokes crack. My delusional alcoholic brain that lies to me in my own voice tells me I successfully do heroin successful right yeah. so disconnected from reality i have no idea already yeah. he lives with uh, he's homeless i live with my mother and my girlfriend yes god bless that man i'm so grateful he found the answer for what he's looking for wow but you know what i can't tell you about that program i can't tell you about my therapist's name i can't tell you about these relapse prevention packets they're shoving down my throat or these healthy and unhealthy boundaries they're trying to instill in me because if i could tell you those things that means i can relate to being one of those people and i want no fucking part oh and I successfully complete that 30-day program. While in that 30-day program, I built up no defense against the first time I will have an encounter with a drink or a drug, right? But just because I get sober doesn't mean the whole world does. So it's not a matter of if, but when that encounter comes. I successfully complete that treatment center. No defense against a drink or a drug. And, and he was right. I didn't turn 18 in a place like that. Wow. But here's the hit I turned Turn 20, 22, 23, 24, 27, 29, 32, 33, 34, 35 in a jail or a treatment center. And every year I'd sit on whatever bunk of whatever cell of whatever jail I happened to be in or, or whatever bed or whatever treatment center I had to be in. And, and I think back to that older gentleman and say, maybe if me, myself, Brandon Novak would have listened to him with an open mind and an open heart, I would not continuously find myself in this situation year after year after year after year. Going back to what we said in the beginning of this podcast, you know, I've learned how to take responsibility for my actions, right? And, and, and again, I had now painted this picture for what you view me in, and yeah. I can no longer deny it. Yeah. That's crazy, man. You know, going through those experiences in your life at such a young age um, is just fucking mind-blowing. Like we were talking earlier about, like the, just looking at, you know, younger kids, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, they seem so young, yeah, but at that moment you feel like yeah, I'm You're holding invincible. up. I'm invincible, right? I'm destructive, I'm invincible. Mom, and, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So when you went through that experience, right, and and you came out, when did things like start to take off? Like the everything with you know CKY and all that shit. Like how did that all get into play? So so now in between all those birthdays, all those years, and all those treatment centers, I I, I would come in and I would loiter with the intent to recover, right? And they'd say, okay, Mister Novak, I need you to 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 acquire a sponsor and no problem i get a sponsor right and they said all right we want you to start going to these meetings okay i'll go to the meetings we want you to fellowship and uh, you know that's all that's a walk in the park right i I wasn't the kid that used to walk in class 20 minutes late in fear that everyone was staring at him i I was the kid that would walk in 20 minutes late thinking that everyone was waiting for him right so like fellowshipping and going to meetings and spots cool man i have no problem socializing and networking and and then they say we're gonna need you to to 
to experience those 12 steps. And I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to sense a fucking theme of overreaction in here. Yes. <laughs> like, of course. At that time. Come on, man. And, and then for the life of me, I, I can't understand how, how I continue to find myself on the corner of Eastern Avenue and Patterson Park in Baltimore City, praying to God that that lawyer who drives a burgundy Cadillac gets off work at 5 p.m. as opposed to 5.30 because he pays me good money for my body. Wow. How the fuck do I, like, how, 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 where is this transition taking place? Yeah. Right? Because just yesterday I, w- I was invited to the party and the party was a blast and, and, and it provided great fun times, beautiful memories, beautiful. And now I'm, I've never been allowed to leave the party. The party's long ended and, and I'm, a, I'm a prisoner. I'm a hostage and I want to go home. Yeah. I want to go home and I can't. And you can't. I've lost the ability to have any sort of say so in this game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I didn't even see it happen. So b- besides all, all of that, though, when, what were you doing during that time as far as, you know, skating and... I wasn't. Things? I was merely surviving at best. The progression of addiction had taken place, and, and, and every day I'd wake up and I'd say, tomorrow's going to be different. And I fucking meant it. You strap me with a polygraph, I will pass with flying colors and have every police officer here in California pat me on the back saying, we wish everyone was as honest as you are. The world will be a better place to live in. Unfortunately, tomorrow never was different. I woke up tomorrow to repeat yesterday's actions and I was stuck in Groundhog's Day for like 20 fucking years. But in that interim, I... One of my hustles is I'm, I'm homeless, I'm, I'm, I'm eating out of trash cans, I'm prostituting my body, I'm, I'm just kind of living the use, using to live on the streets of Baltimore. And there was a skate shop that I would attend, I would uh, you know, occasionally drop into, and, and they'd give me a couple of dollars. And, wow. and this one day, I, I, I do just that, and they say, we're not going to give you any money. But Bam was here yesterday. And they did a demo, and he asked if we ever saw you, and we said that you would occasionally stop in to get some money. And, and he said, give him my phone number. <laughs> and if he wants to get clean and start skating again, tell him to call me. Now, Bam and I had met when we were children, roughly seven, eight years old, in Pennsylvania. Bucky, the guy who yeah, my mentor, we would go from Baltimore and we would drive up to Pennsylvania and skate this skate park called Cheap Skates. And, and at that skate park, we met Bam. And Bam wasn't sponsored at the time. Bucky was already pro for PAL and, and he had got me on the team. I'm an amateur. And, and, and Bam wanted to ride for PAL and he was a really good... When I saw Bam, I'm like, fuck, this kid's going to be a problem because we, we looked alike, we dressed alike, we talked alike, we acted alike, and most importantly, we skated alike. Yeah. We skated transitions, we were very consistent skaters, um, you know, outside the box tricks, kind of, you know, really just fucking eye to eye with it. And, and every year, there would be a contest in uh, Bricktown, New Jersey, the NSAs, the National Skateboarding Association, and, and either, we'd practice all year, and either he would win or I would win. Wow. Best friends, but arch enemies. Okay. And um, one particular year, Bam's practiced all year. I don't show up. Bucky does. Bam says to Bucky, yo, where's Novak? And, and Bucky said, I think he's on heroin. And Bam was like, what is that? Because wow. he's so young, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, literally. yeah. As time progresses, Bam completely excels. My, my career fucking steadily declines. Bam has now made CK, the first CKY movie, which has netted him over a million dollars at a young age. And, you know, that's transcended into the second and third movie. And, 
and now he's riding for Toy Machine at the time, and you know he's kind of just touring demos and everything that I was the direction I was headed in. He became, and I just completely fell off the map to becoming a homeless heroin addict in Baltimore City. <laughs> so, so I stop in this skate shop one day in hopes to get some money. They say no. Here's Bam's number. I, a few days later, I call it and. Um, and he didn't give me his home number. You know, he was very guarded, rightfully so. But he gave me a number to a skate shop, the skate shop called Fairman's in Pennsylvania. The synchronicity in these events, right? See, what I've learned is I've remained sober long enough today to look back and recognize the synchronicity in life's events that have led me to the right here, right yes. now, that proved to me that the God of my understanding has been doing for me for so fucking long yeah. things that I could never do for myself. So on this day, I'm homeless, I'm on the streets, I save some money, right, because I go to a pay phone and I got to put the money in and make a long distance call. And uh, an escape shop is him, uh, the, the owner answers Dave Fairman, and he and I said, is Bam there? And he's like, well, who? so he's like, this is a skate shop, and who's this, Novak? Oh, no, well, no way, Bam was actually just in here two minutes ago. He's, I think he's next door eating sushi at the, you know, so like, all these wow. things are, so he puts me on hold and he runs over and he gets Bam and, and next thing I know, Bam's like, yo, how are you? You know, we picked up right where we left off. Yeah. You know, best yes. friends, you don't skip a beat. Yes, of course. No matter not. how yeah. bad or good one yeah. or the other's doing. Even time, like it's, Yeah, it's, yes. you pick, and he said, and before I knew it, that night I was on a Greyhound bus from Baltimore to Philly. Holy and he shit. was driving into Philly to pick me up and, uh, and, and he was like, let me live at his house. And and you might remember, you see parts of, um, in the CKY movies where like Dunn, uh, Dunn kind of catches me in the garage with a needle and a spoon. Like Ryan Dunn, Brandon, yeah. Brandon Novak, CKY. Yeah. Ryan. Yeah. And he, he catches me in, in the, uh, in the, in the garage with the spoon and, and they film it. So what I didn't know at the time is that Bam had placed all these um, all these cameras around the house and was kind of documenting my deal. So he'd see you'd see me sleeping on the couch and documenting I'm twitching. you. Yeah, and I'm yeah, like sick. That. I'm withdrawing, and you know. So I didn't understand that all this. Was, so you kind of see yes. what's going on here, and um, you know. It doesn't take. He'd kick me out. He'd send me back to Baltimore. I'd fuck up, become homeless again, call him, beg him for another opportunity. But that was my my transition or merge into A, Pennsylvania, and B, the CKY videos, which then turned into uh, the Viva La Bams, which then turned into the Jackass. Going through that experience, right, you guys didn't realize what was about to happen. Mm -mm. Not at all. You couldn't even imagine it, right? No. Um, when did everything really start to kick in for you? Where you're like, oh my God, this is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Because, you know, the Viva La Bams, the Jackasses, the CKYs, I remember being in high school and you you guys just inspired a generation of, of fucking misfit kids that, you know, really saw that you, if you wanted to put your all in something, whatever the fuck it is, you could make it happen. So yeah, go, going, going through that, right? When everything started to kick in, what was the idea behind it? Because you guys were just going crazy, having a good time. Was it? Was there like a method to the madness? I don't, you know, my mind wasn't on the creative process of like, yeah, what the outcome was hopefully going to be with that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I, I was there trying, <laughs> trying to fucking kick my addiction, kick my habit, um, hopefully regain my my ability in skate 
skateboarding in the skateboarding world again, yes. you know, like my, while being part of this really cool process, you know, yeah. that, that's what I was hoping. I, I, but what I do know from being in the mix of it is it was just a bunch of us friends just filming crazy shit. Yeah. It kind of just took off on its own. Yeah. Do you, do, are you, are you appreciative of all of that? Like, 100%, 100%. Yeah, I am. Yeah. It, you, you know, it's like, when you look at, at your life and you look at that, that time, what registers most in your mind? Minus the addiction. What registers? Like that well, with the CKY stuff? Yeah, particularly. yeah, and just all of that. Well, the thing is, is prior to that, Baltimore hadn't been my home for many years because, you know, rightfully so, at like 21, my mother had me removed from the house. Yeah. Right? Because I was just a walking tornado and anyone in my path felt the wrath. Yeah. Um, so I hadn't really, in the upbringing and, you know, I got into drugs at such a young age, I kind of forgot what human connection and, and, and positive relationships looked like. So then after I burned all my bridges in Baltimore, Bam extends his hand and the offer to come to Pennsylvania, I make these new friendships and these new relationships that, and, and actually for once in my life, I really want to stop more than I want to continue to use. Yes. And I believe that like I, I can be somebody again. Yeah. So, so what I remember during that process is the friendships that, that, that were created throughout the making of, you know, yeah. me and Rab or just, you know, and me and Dunn and, and Bam and just, just, you know, just the normality because prior to that, my life consisted of who had what, how much do we have and can we get more? Yeah. You know, it wasn't like. Hey, like laughing, like sincere laughter. Like it had been a long time since I had laughed or found any reason to smile about anything. Did they, minus Bam, obviously, did they know how bad your addiction was when it got to like Viva La Bam and Jackass? Yeah. Unfortunately, they learned the hard way. What right. Do you mean by because, that? like, you know, again, and like you can see in the making of, I think, the making of Haggard or Ming Hags, one of those movies, there's the behind the scenes and, and like, through me living with Bam, continuously like stealing shit, borrowing cars, going back to Baltimore, disappearing for days and just showing up super high, they witnessed firsthand what my addiction looked like. And it yeah. was pretty reserved then because I was trying to like really hold on to this so I didn't destroy all this. But, yes. you know, the just looks of disgust and just, you know, disappointment. In, they they learned but they kept on letting you back yeah well really it was bam that kept letting me back because i would live with him okay and 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 what i didn't understand then that someone pointed out to me not too long ago is is that that bam didn't see what everyone else saw bam didn't see the heroin addict who can't stay clean he saw the amazing skater that he met when he was seven yes you know so he was able to see past that i believe he saw who you are, yeah. who you were, yeah. and who you are, actually. Yeah, where other people, even, you know, Phil and Abe, his parents were like, you got to fucking let him be. He's only going to continue to hurt you. And yeah. Call, you know, and and I, I, I didn't know why, but, you know, a lot of times, even like with In Viva La Bam, fun fact that people don't know is like, obviously I wasn't like the five main characters who, who like showed up on the screen with like the fucking- yeah. The, the the regular weekly character. I, I came in late um, because of my addiction and I was thrown out a lot because of my addiction, but I was his best friend and, and they really didn't, not the guys, but MTV as a network uh, didn't want me 
on the show because I was such a fucking liability out of my mind. But Bam was so, you know, he used to call me his walking television. And I was just so insane that he, they could never fire me because I was never hired. And I was wow. Bam's best friend. So I would do anything I fucking wanted on a daily basis, right? So it would drive them insane. The Viacom people, the MTV oh my people. Gosh. So ultimately what they did <laughs> is they gave me a job just so they could control me. That's it. <laughs> and so by giving you a job and control, what does that even mean? It means that I had to kind of like follow some rules. Did you? Like when they're like, Novak, calm it down. Well, now I'm getting paid. Yeah. Now I'm on payroll. Now I'm a weekly fixture on the show. Yes. I, I'll listen. Now I'm prone to listen. And so you were, you, you, what do you think it was about? Was it the money? Was it the uh, structure? Was it? At, w at what? To, What's the well, what? Because you're, 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 you're all over the place, right? And then MTV gives you that job to control you. What was it internally in your head that said, okay, I have to calm down or I have to be more sneaky or what, what well, was I it? I think finally it, it you know, my self-esteem was so low for so many years yeah. that if people said, you need to get self-esteem, that sounds great. And yes, I want it. But how the fuck do you obtain it? I don't know. So yeah. what I learned is through doing esteemable acts, I was able to gain self-esteem, right? So so becoming self-sufficient, paying bill, whatever self-sufficient looks like to each individual. Yes. Um, and for me at the time, achieving a paycheck every week had now become very you know structure man esteemable yes of course uh, so through these esteemable acts i was now able to gain a sense of self-esteem so okay maybe i should like you know listen a little bit tone it down a little bit yeah, yeah. because now like i don't have to rely or depend on bam to buy me all, all my drinks when we go to the bar yes or, like now i can kind of stand on my own two feet i i, I kind of feel a little bit of pride about this of course so was... maybe i will like listen to you i have a little bit more respect for you because i'm starting to gain a little bit of respect for myself absolutely do you it, it, obviously um things even went downhill after that right but uh what was it like when you started to realize like fame starts to kick in it has to be such an awkward like maybe in the beginning it's good but like an awkward feeling well for me at that time it was a it, it was a junkie's dream my job then was a junkie's dream and addicts fucking you know christmas morning yeah because the role that i played on those shows again an addict's dream man the, the more outlandish my behaviors were the more outrageous my antics became the higher in demand i was the better the ratings were, the more money I made. Wow. That's a fucking ad extreme. That's a recipe for disaster. They fueled that. Do you think it was fueled to the fire? Yeah. Unbeknownst to, you know what I mean? Yes, like it course. was going to, and, 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 and rightfully so, like even when it got to Jackass, I was the guy that would do anything, yeah. like anything. And it's really easy to see why now, right? Because prior to Viva La Bam or Jackass doing these insanely crazy stunts that paid really well, they got me world recognition because I ended up on movies and TV screens, which ultimately allowed money, yeah. women, money, property, prestige, um, that allowed me to avoid looking at the serious matter at hand, right? Because that's 100%. what I, I spent a lot of money not doing. That moment of clarity, I avoided <laughs> at all costs. Um, you know, the scales of justice were very simple. Well, do you want to do this insanely crazy stunt that no one else wants to do? Fuck yeah. Huh. Let's take a look at why. Prior to this, I'm homeless in Baltimore City, letting men blow me just to get more heroin. Like for real. Yeah. 
So now you're telling me I could do this stunt, but I could, and also keep in mind while I'm doing this, I'm not allowed to, now Now they did the best that they could with what they had. They didn't understand the severity or the complexity of my disease of addiction because they're not addicts and alcoholics. So so drinking was okay because that's socially acceptable. Cocaine was be okay as long as like you're not running around screaming about it doing yeah. it in front of everyone because like because i don't fall asleep when i'm doing it i don't steal to get it i i don't lie when i'm on you know what i mean it's so different yeah, yeah so so no, no one cared really that's so crazy but but the rule was no downers no pills no heroin yeah. because i steal when i need them i fall asleep when i'm on them i'm sick when i don't have them yeah so with that being said like you know i could I could do all these things, but not that. It's it's just crazy. It's like a fucking conundrum, man. Yeah. It's like it's like you you can do all this. It's okay. It's okay. But if you do this, nope, 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 yeah. nope, nope. But your mentality changes when you're on this compared to that. You don't steal, cheat, lie for cocaine or alcohol. Yeah. But the heroin. So you do. so now they're like, okay, do you want to do this stuff? No one wants to do. Well, fuck yeah. Because prior to having these opportunities, I was homeless doing things I don't want to do to get another bag. Yeah. Now I do this stunt. Let's say, let's say worst case scenario, I get hurt. Still fucking win-win. Because if I get hurt, that means I go directly to the hospital. Yeah. The doctors prescribe me pain pills, which now everyone that says I'm not allowed to do that now to. says you're allowed to do that. Fucking win-win. So you try to I get hurt? I can't lose. Would you ever try to get hurt? I didn't try, but I definitely did. I mean, you didn't have to try with Viva Van or Jackass. No, like it no, was, it no. was going to happen. Pretty, The odds were good. Who who designed all of that shit? Who designed the stunts, the the ideas behind it? Was Just it whoever that was like, bam, obviously for yeah. Viva Bam, Jackass, yeah. whoever, really, you know? When you look back at that, is there one of the things that stand out most to you where it's like, it was like the craziest thing you've ever fucking done? No, they were all really gnarly. I mean, there were pretty crazy outcomes. Yeah. Like on um, Bam's Unholy Union, uh, his wedding show, yeah. where where they flew Tony Hawk in. And, and I do the, um, it was like the last day of shooting. And I woke up that morning early. And it was a big day. They flew Hawk in. And I'm to do the, the, the um, rainbow yeah. on the skateboard. And I break both my ankles in mid mid fucking attempt holy shit i hadn't skated for years probably i'm completely strung out i I attempted to wake up early that morning to go buy heroin but it didn't work out so i'm still sick you're detoxing i'm detoxing like go do this we're filming hawks there i i borrow bam shoes i borrow his board i get to like 12 o'clock on the rainbow and i jump down and i break both my ankles at the same time most would say oh my god nightmare hospital hospital drugs pain pills like for Bam's wedding, I was completely hopped up out of my mind and allowed to do it. And no one looked at you differently. <laughs> and I got paid really well. Actually, it worked out on my fucking behalf because that was the last day of shooting, which meant workman's comp kicked in. Oh, my God. So I was getting at the time, I'm like held up on my, at the time, ex-fiance sofa with 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 both ankles broken. And I'm receiving like three grand every week. Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> Which was directly into the fucking my nose and my arms. How old were you at this time? <laughs> Fuck, I don't even, 20s, <laughs> late 20s, early 30s. Okay, so you, you go through that. You break both of your legs, right? Yeah, um, ankles, yeah. Ankles, sorry. Yeah, that'd be I remember crazy. being, so then the filming was done, I, and I got to go back to Baltimore. Wow. So I'm, I'm back in Baltimore because I'm living with my ex-fiance at the time, and I'm back in Baltimore, which means I'm not under the microscope of all these guys. We finished filming. I'm now getting workman's comp from SAG. I'm getting these fucking really nice checks every every week. 
without the supervision of all those guys. So I would go into Baltimore. I remember once it was like a snowstorm and I, I was all fucked up and I lost my crutches and the wheel, I couldn't bring a wheelchair. And I remember being in this alley in Baltimore city and was fucking a snowing blizzard. And I'm like, you know, you see dogs, they like drag their ass on the car. Yeah. I'm like on my ass, just pushing myself up the alley. <laughs> just get a mental picture of that to score because i don't oh i lost my, my crutches and i didn't couldn't bring a wheelchair and a fucking cab to the city and so you were going to get heroin Dope, right? yeah oh my god <laughs> it's just these insane fucking yeah it's 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 so weird it, when you look at like the heroin of, of today right and it gets laced you know there's it can get laced a lot with you know you know fentanyl ferrofentanyl things yeah. of that nature it wasn't like that back then no i'd surely be dead now like surely like sh- I work in the drug and alcohol treatment field now. I, I help people on a daily basis. Um, and it's 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 like for real. It's it's seriously for real. To put it in perspective, I have, and the reason I would say this story was a lie, but I knew the people that involved in the story personally. And what happens is three guys are living in a recovery house. They leave the recovery house. It's three of them. They put five dollars together. They come up with five dollars because that's what a bag of heroin costs now. It used to be ten. Now it's five. Because it's all fentanyl. It's not even heroin yep. anymore. And they go out and they get a $5 bag of heroin in Baltimore. They come right back to the recovery house, but on the fence line. And they're like in a bush about to jump the, uh, the fence to get back into the recovery house. And they split the pill three ways, sniffing it. Three ways. Two of the people drop dead right there. The third lives. It's so bad now that <laughs> addicts, I live in Philly and near Kensington kind of and and. And addicts now, they get high in pairs of two because it's likely that they're probably going to overdose so they make sure that they have Narcan on each other. Isn't that fucking crazy? I mean, that's insanity. Why don't we have testing systems set up throughout the well, United States? Yeah, that's it. Dude, they were going to do um, the safe injection sites. Yes. And and I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big Fuck fan yes. of any harm reduction. But then these fucking people were like, Philly was going to be like the first place with it. And they're like, no, we can't have it here because like, what about kids that walk down the street? And, and my thought was, and I don't know about kids, but- their 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 notion was that like it could make people want to shoot up and I, my thought was if my mother my 78 year old mother was walking down the street past the safe injection house or a site and looked in and saw all these addicts shooting up i don't think she's gonna say well i want to go try it like, no it's, no it's gonna be the exact it's the opposite, opposite. It's, the, it's the opposite right because you look at um i believe it's portugal they had a hundred thousand um uh you know active uh you know heroin users right yeah when they decriminalized all fucking drugs mm-hmm. that went to twenty five thousand. Yeah, i know there is something about when things are illegal it just makes it more enticing it's whatever the, the fuck it is of it being desired like, oh, yes. whatever yes and so it's just um, we need, especially with everyone fucking dying, which is still less than fucking alcohol, right? Yeah. But if we tested it, right? If you had so places, that's safe what, centers. Exactly. That's what the harm reduction places yes. would do. The safe injection sites is that you would go there. They would, So it's definitely harm reduction. They give you free needles, clean needles, yep. brand new ones. They give you brand new cookers. What are... Completely sterile, new shit, right? Number one. Number two, there's doctors, there's, there's, there's professionals... 
there that that test what you're about to do. They monitor your intake. And the reality is nine out of 10 people that are going to be in those places don't want to fucking be there anyway. No, of course not. Like I said, it started out as a party and then it was was this like torture chamber that would not allow me to leave and I wanted to go. And what we could do is we could use those harm reduction sites to, to be the main portal from directly to there to treatment. 100%. You know, 100%. the resources available, they're in yes. there, everything. You know, some of my story, why did treatment center number 13 work? Uh, it wasn't number, I mean, anything different from eight, five, four, three. They didn't teach me anything different. What happened was the stars aligned. Of course. And I believe a lot of stars could align if all the pieces are in the right place, which I would be that, you know. Absolutely. No, it, it needs to happen, right? We keep on fighting this dead horse. It's like, I, I, I remember back in like the 80s, like, Duh, you know, dare, don't do drugs, yeah. right? Just say no. Who the fuck thinks uh, that's that's how really drugs work, right? Uh, someone kind of, just say no. No, we need to be more real. We have to be honest with our children, you know, with the children, right? Don't don't create this fucking bubble that is just blinding kids, not really setting up for reality. I watched this video the other day. Um, my wife showed me, and it was a uh, it was a, a rabbit, right? And uh, it was all about like how we test, you know, different things on animals, right? But what it does is it 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 humanizes exactly what is happening and it, it strikes a chord. And so I think we need to change uh, the way that we, we, we share it. Right. And, and you're doing it yourself being open and honest, right? You know, as you changing the, what I can't help to think about uh, the, just say no, you yeah. know, Nancy Reagan, just say no, this is your brain on drugs, right? It, 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 we lost the war on drugs. A hundred percent. But the cool thing is speaking of changing the narrative, the DEA came to me two years ago and they have this this it's called the 360 degree opioid summit in every state the dea has all these different factions california chicago boston florida and i've now become the keynote speaker for these events because from their words directly to mine is is we have learned that we can no longer arrest the problem or ourselves out of this no that's not working so now they have me coming into all these different cities literally it's the government, so they can make anything happen. Like if they, did, I did it in Hollywood uh, last year, and and they made it mandatory for all the schools to come to this. It's not wow. like uh, it's it's maybe we no, it's mandatory because the government can do that. Yes. So the DEA is like bring all of these. Yep. And it was like eight thousand kids. I did it at the Chinese theater. Oh I'm yeah, right. yeah, I'm uh, I'm Grauman's right or where the the, yeah. the Academy Awards yes. are. Yeah, and the handprints and all that. Yeah, stuff. yeah. So. You know, it's they're understanding that like that didn't work. But if we bring these real people that actually, you know, look just like us, act like us, talk like us from all these different walks of life, maybe these kids can relate and bring some humanity to it. Just what you were talking about, you know, or whatever. But Uh, no, you're 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 so correct, and it's like. It was me. It was um, Jack Osborne. Yes. It was Doctor Drew and someone else. It was really rad. And you were you were honest. You were real. I gave you, my talk. You didn't bullshit. I didn't change anything. I didn't change my deliverance. I didn't change the outcome. You know, I I gave it like, and you know, it's, they enjoyed it's it because they've brought me back to like many of them. Yeah, man. This is what we <laughs> we we need to continue to do this, right? And I think that I mean, even um, Oregon just decriminalize drugs right yeah. and so we 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 are slowly changing and i think this future generation is really going to 
change the narrative. The millennials, my generation, right, is going to change the narrative. And so hopefully 20, 30 years from now, we're looking at it from a different level. We're not locking all these That's people it. up and throwing them away. Like it's not helping them. You're just feeding to the system. If we change our perception, we can change the world. Absolutely. No right. question about it. All right. So bring it back a little, uh, just a little bit. And then, yeah, we're, we're, we're uh, yeah. So I want to bring it back, right? Um, you break both of your ankles, right? Um, you, you, you talked about scooting down the, down the alleyway, right? What, what came next after that? So again, it's just the, the wash rinse repeat of, of, of days and stories, um, robbing Peter to pay Paul, rearranging the furniture on the Titanic, right? Yeah. Hopefully in hopes to get a different outcome and, and nothing seems to be working. Um, but I continue to come up with these plans because like, I still know, right? I, I still know. Now, Now, at this point in time, my mother's a nuclear physicist, my brother's an attorney in the White House, my father dies, a direct result of disease of addiction. My uh, first skateboarder endorsed by Gatorade, you know, uh, touring the world with Pal Peralta and all these pros. Uh, now I end up in these movies, Jackass, and these TV shows, Viva La Bam, and, and doing things that people would equate to success, happiness, potentially even dream of doing. The reality of what my life really looks like to this point is is I've been in 10 inpatient treatment centers. I've lost count of outpatients and detoxes. My mother has bought me a plot. People have begun- Wow, wait, wait, wait. Just yeah. say that one more time. Your mom bought you a plot. Yeah, yeah. Which I have for sale today because I've decided I'm going to be cremated. So if any of your viewers would like to buy a plot, I will donate that money raised from selling that plot to- uh, to, to helping people get into treatment. She put it up for auction, man. <laughs> I've thought about it. I actually have two plums. Because my mother, what she did was she, she spent Mother's Day, nine years back, Mother's Day. She went and bought two plots, one for me and one for her, because she was in fear that if, if she died, who would take care of her son? Wow. Um, so, yeah, I, I joke now, but I'm actually serious. I have two plots for sale. Because my mother decided she's going to be cremated, which I will be too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love so, that. So I will, you know, like really be serious and focus on like selling that to raise money to, you should. to donate. You put it on 100%. eBay, man. Yeah. I, I, it's just a lot to unpack and I'm busy, but yeah. I get that. I get that. I get that. I get that. But yeah. So, 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 you know, I've been in, you know, these treatment centers. I've lost kind of outpatients and detoxes. My mother's bought me a plot. People have begun to take life insurance policies out on me. I've been medevac to four different hospitals in four different States from four different overdoses. Wow. My mother has sold three homes to financially pay for me to go to two different treatment centers. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I can't understand how I'd gotten here, right? Like I, I had the goals, I had the dreams, I had the ambitions. And, and in retrospect, looking back, it's really easy to understand how I got in there because I, I got here by, by, by being there with a closed mind and a closed heart, comparing out, proving a point why I didn't belong. Yeah. Possessing that job that consisted of knowing everything, refusing to conform. When did you, when was the last time you hit rock bottom? And I'm sure that question yeah, is asked see, all the time. Yeah, see, that's the thing with my story. There's just so many like fucking peaks and valleys because but I there just, has to be something that, 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 you know, obviously well, from changed. The, well, from there, I decide that I'm going to write a book. I have no high school diploma. I have no GED. I got my GED while I was incarcerated in the penitentiary after my first book was published. And not like a, a self-published, you know, you have some money, you get someone to write your book for you. Yes. Like like I legit wrote a fucking book 
and and I wrote it in twelve chapters, pen to paper. I, because so what I, I got to backtrack. Wow. While being on Viva La Bam, living in Bam's house, Bam was always really fascinated with with my drug stories, wow. the places they landed me in, and the people they surrounded me with. Super fascinated. You know, as a matter of fact, my very first tattoo ever. I got while living at Bam's house, and it's right here on my right where my belt was, and it says yeah. "No more fucking heroin," you know, because he thought, and I didn't disagree that if I was ever going to relapse again, maybe I looked at that tattoo in the mirror and would think twice. <laughs> Tattoos do not solve addiction. No, they don't. But they don't. you know, it's a clear reminder, though. Yeah, and and he meant well. Yes, of <laughs> so, course. So this was the very first no tattoo I ever hair. got. I was a fucking. 20 years old man. Well, that's the first tattoo number one very first tattoo that's just gangster dude yeah, right. i mean it worked it's a, i'm not gonna say it worked but it i mean yes yeah. now it does totally why why was he so home why was he so fascinated oh because like they're just fucking insane stories yeah you know like me scooting down the fucking, that's fucking alley crazy. in the projects in the snowstorm in a blizzard because both my ankles are broken like into some weird little fucking cut in the alley buying a whole bunch you know, just and and this, the list goes on like of that. Just, I just thought of that real quick, but it goes on. <laughs> yes, of course. I, yeah, it, you know, it, if you, sure. as a matter of fact, like some of the insane stories that you could find, and and this is a shameless plug, but uh, I was the first ever to to write a, an auto and a, a, a gra- an addiction graphic novel. Wow. The Brand, the Chronicles of Brandon Novak, and and it's the the artist is an amazing artist out of Germany, and and we took those insane stories and. Um, and put them and up. add them in a book because they didn't really fit with the storyline, and we have so many of these insane stories. But we made a whole a graphic novel, which is it's just like a comic. Oh my gosh! Check it out, the Brandon Novak Chronicles, uh, illustrated by Emmanuel Coach Co- Cox. Cox, Cox, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow! What gave you the yeah. idea to do that? Just we just came up with it. You know, we had these great, great stories. Oh, that's so how I got yeah. into writing the book, right? Yeah. Bam Bam was just always fascinated with these insane stories. And there's tons of them. And so we'd be finished we'd finish filming like a Viva La Bam episode and we'd go into town and the cast and the crew and we'd all you'd be fucking in a bar, like a table of forty. And he'd be like, Yo, tell this story, tell that story. And when I would tell these stories, you could literally hear a pin drop. Like it it, it captivized wow. everyone everyone's attention. So a couple of days later, he said, you know what? Because at this point, I was allowed to like live at his house and, and be on the show, cameos, and, and you know just stay off the shit. Yeah. And he said, no, the, the rules of the contract have now changed. You're going to write a book. <laughs> I said, you are going to write a book. And he said, uh, he said, the moment that I don't see you with a, a pen and a notebook in your hand, you're going back to Baltimore. He said, you don't have to fucking be writing it. But at the moment that I don't see you with a pen and a notebook in your hand, I swear to God, you're going back to Baltimore. Wow. So now at this point, I've been in the shows, I've been on the movies. Like, I, the last thing I want to do is go back to yes. Baltimore and like bum to sleep on someone's couch because, in my mind and other people's minds, I'm the fucking man. Yes, right. Yes, and, yes. And I, I like really. So I'm like, fuck it. I'll write a book. And <sighs> and I, I go to to Barnes and Nobles and I get this book at the time that I loved autobiographies. I love addiction yeah. memoirs, and I get this book, A Million Little Pieces, that was written by James Frey. And uh, I get this book and I read it as a brilliant book. And so I kind of create the outline from that book. And, I, and I'm like, all right, 12 chapters. So I, I write 12 chapters. I write a pen and paper. And about a year and a half later, I give it to Bam. And I'm like, yo, I think I'm done. Oh, my and he God. He reads like, holy fuck. 
You are. So he gets me my co-author, which is Joe Franz, who's made all the CKY movies yes. and has worked with us for years. And and he's a really smart guy. He's like a professor. So he's got like letters in front and behind his name. And he takes my 12 chapters, turns it into 23 chapters. Oh my gosh. Now Bam's manager uh, finds us a literary agent because you just can't acquire a literary agent. Like yeah. you have to like you have to have something or be somebody. Yes. I don't have shit. And I, I have something, but I'm nobody. So yes. no one's going to listen. So Bam makes his manager get us a literary agent. The literary agent takes our manuscript. He shops it around. We get a lot of no's and a few yeses, and ultimately we land with Kensington Press, Citadel Publishers in oh, New York. Man. The book becomes insanely successful. Oh, my like, God. Insanely That's how I ended up writing a book. I had no fucking desire to write a fucking book. Fucking bam, man. He I has been no like des- a beacon for you. Yeah, yeah. Which is a really shame because right now he, you know, he's, he's dealing with his demons. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy, man. I mean, it, 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 but the really disease is. of addiction does not discriminate. No, it does not. From Yale or jail, White House or the outhouse, the results are all the same. You know, when you when you when you're going through all of that, right, and you have someone like Bam, would you consider Bam that person? Remember, I said like three people in your life will reach out and help you get to the next level. Yeah, yeah, he was definitely one of them. I, I credit him to 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 saving my life and getting. If I were to have stayed in Baltimore, there'd be no question that I'd be in that plot that my mother bought me. Yeah, no question. Yeah. Um, but it's really sad and it's really unfortunate because you know he's found himself in a bad way at this current moment in time, and I've attempted to help him, and I would always still do it. Um. But I, I think that you know, there's a lot of um, there's there's some deep seated issues, and there's some animosity, rightfully so, on his end because like, and I know because I once was where he is, and yeah. and when you go from being the guy that had everything, and your best friend was the guy that like at least I'll never be Novak, yeah, to then kind of the roles being reversed, yeah. That really fucking sucks. It's weird. You know, like, fucking. that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. And um, that can create a lot of animosity for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. And and I understand that. And, and I've, I've chose to come from a position, uh, and I've chose to come from a position of understanding as opposed to being understood. I get that. Because I know what it's like to walk in his shoes. And, um... But right now, currently, I've had to create a gap between him and I. Okay. Um, because, like, if he wants help, I'm not the person he's going to call for it. And I have to create these boundaries. Um, because I refuse to accept particular behaviors yeah. that I know are not conducive to someone's life in a good way. Do you, you, know? do you think that... He he put up with a lot of your stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, is it different? You're in a different place. It's- well, it, it is and it isn't. You know, when we say he put up with a lot of my stuff, the difference was like I'd fuck up. There'd be repercussions to my actions. I'd I'd, I'd be kicked out of his house. I'd have to go back to Baltimore. I'd have to like. There would come a point in time where I'd ultimately want to do better, and I'd be like, "Dude, if you just give me one more chance, yes. like I won't do it again." That hasn't happened 
in role reversal. You know that. what I mean? I like, that. like he fucks up and then it's never like, fuck, I'm so sorry. I should never have done that. Just give me, you know, like yes. there's been yeah. no repercussions from his actions until now, which is, you know, like it's everything I'm saying is it's public no, for the I, most I, I, part, but, um, you know, obviously he's not allowed in jackass four and that's really, yeah. that's crazy. You know, so now like there, there's some like starting to become some repercussions from his actions, but, you know, he, the the issues haven't been addressed, and um, you you have to face them head on, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I the thing is, is I'm married to my narrative because it worked for me. Yeah. But my way to that's the thing. There's not a, a universal answer that will fix the problem. Of course, uh, the disease of addiction is not a black and white, one size fits all. Yeah. What works for me may not work for you or him. Right. I, I've seen it happen. You know, there's like different kinds of sobriety there's not like this california sober yeah which is like yeah. herb and alcohol which is great if that works for you and it gives you that life that you believe is worth living for fuck yeah it's fucking weird for me i know from my experience like you know so like there's not i don't my way what, isn't the right way my what, way is my way that worked for me and that's what i know what about like mushrooms or dmt for me no i mean i, I do to eat all i've learned is that all that I can control on this earth is me, my thinking, my attitude, my behavior. Exactly and the sooner right. I learn and accept that, the easier it is for me to navigate through this world. Because when I believe that I can change people, places, or things, I've now created these expectations. And all expectations are, are unfulfilled resentments. And what I've learned in my program, the 12 steps that I attend and have experienced, is that resentments are our number one offender that will cause us to drink and to drug. Do you think California sober is bullshit? Um, I, no, I don't think it's bullshit. I think that it, it probably works for some people. Yeah. For me, I, it's unacceptable for me. Yes. For me. You know, that, I, I keep it on me. You know? I get that. I respect that. Um, as, as we kind of start. And who with, am I to say, like, what? If I had the guide for a perfect life again, I'd bottle that up and sell it for a billion dollars. <laughs> like, I, I, I fucking debate it for a lot of years and I shot heroin for a lot of years. Yes. Fuck, like, sober, coming up on six years, I, I've i barely scratched the surface of reality. So it's like, dude. It's fun. You know, you're, it's cool. you're, you're, your story is amazing. As we kind of start to wind down, right? Um, You, you for the past six years, have changed your narrative. You've yeah. changed your story. But I, the funny thing is, 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 is I, I, I did not. My, um, the, my higher power has. I, I'm not a fan of organized religion, but I'm as spiritual as one could get. And, and I, I, again, I, I dumbed my way into this. What do you I, mean, what do you mean by I, that? I literally, at 38 years old, I came to on life support after being out for seven days at the very same hospital that my mother's on the board of, Mercy Hospital. So oh. try that for size. Her son's upstairs in the ICU yeah. on seven days of life. You know, it's not a great look. Yeah. Um, 13 inpatient treatment centers later, lost count of outpatients and detoxes. My mother bought me a plot. People are taking life insurance policies out on me. Just woke up from being on life support. Medevaced four different hospitals, four different states from four different overdoses. I now currently reside on the corner of Eastern Avenue and Patterson Park, prostituting my body to get another bag. My mother went from praying to God in the middle of the night not to get that phone call to now praying to God that she receives that phone call that I've passed just to have a peace of mind. Get that. Um, everything that I own in this world consists of eight scarves, two jackets, three socks, a stick of deodorant that fits into a bag that doubles as my pillow, a needle, a spoon, and a restraining order, the ink still wet that my mother had served on me to physically be removed from her home. 
I'm a 38-year-old homeless heroin addict who wants to kill himself on a daily basis. I just don't want to hurt myself in the process. <laughs> I'm, I'm horrible at suicide because I keep fucking waking up, and then I'm a position in life where I'm so low the curb because of a skyscraper. What I can see clear as day now is that that among each one of those attempts at my sobriety at one of those programs, none of them were a failure, right? What happened is a seed was planted at every given program. I had sat through enough programs that now ignorance was no longer bliss. I had learned some information, which now meant I'm to be held accountable for the things that I know, yes. right? You can't forget what you fucking learned. Um, and what I learned is that it's really hard to drink a glass of wine when it's cut with AA, Yep. Try shooting a bag of dope when it's cut with N.A. It doesn't quite sit right because I know there's a way up and out of my position provided I get the fuck out of my way. Yes. 38 years old, seeds planet, fucking maturity, want to die, don't want to hurt myself, can no longer deny the severity of my disease from which I've been diagnosed with, have done a lot of work on myself to this point, really like trial and error, or process of elimination, but backwards, right? Like to where now I I can no longer deny, justify, minimize, deflect my current state and the reality of it. The writing on the wall, which is in my handwriting, proves that my life is completely fucked. And I've went from possessing that job that consisted of knowing everything to coming to the realization that you know what I do know is that I don't fucking know. Yep. And despite all that successful bullshit, my very best thinking places me walking into my 13th program just after being on life support. Like that That's the best. So what I know is that I don't know. And, and in the basement of this Catholic Charities Rehab, because I walked into my 13th facility literally with the clothes on my back and, and I had attempted to buy some heroin and I got robbed and and I had this outfit on particularly because I was due to see my parole officer. And I figured I should look really good, right? And because if I don't look good, he's not going to believe I'm doing good and yes. he's going to violate me. And it's not going to be good. So I get dressed accordingly because I don't want to look bad. And I put these like at once point in time, nice dress slacks on if you overlook the cigarette holes in them. Yep. I'm a homeless heroin addict at this point, so I don't wear underwear, right? Because, like, why? I'm not going to wash them and find an imaginary dresser in an alley. And I fucking live to use and I use to live. Like, let's be real. And So I got these pants on with holes in them, these cigarette burns, and I got no underwear on. And I put this nice button-up shirt on. And, and I put these, at once point in time, nice pair of Brooks Brothers shoes, but I lost a shoestring along the way. I'm tying off with it. And, and I, when I go to buy some dope from the guys. My story's really long and I can't get into it, but I'm attempting to board a flight to fly to Fort Lauderdale to meet this woman who's going to pay for my shit and whatever. I don't want to get sick on the flight, so I go to buy some dope from the boys and the boys see fit to rob me as opposed to serving. When they rob me, they, they rip my front and my back pockets completely out. Now my dick and my ass are completely exposed. They rip my shirt open. The only button that stays button is my very top button. And I got these shoes on one shoestring. And I'm now roaming the streets of West Baltimore looking like a gay East L.A. cholo gang. Oh, my God. Because all I owned was eight scarves, two jackets, three socks, a stick of deodorant, and a needle and a spoon, and a restraining order. Like, I, I didn't have, you know, the disease from which I possess does not give me the privilege to have underwear to wear. Like, oh that's, my God. that's just such a luxury. And bone. so this is like your fucking crap. 38. 38. Yeah, 38. And then the narrative changes. Yeah. So I walk into this program and, and, and 
what happened was on May 25th, 2015, I was finally demoralized in just such a fashion. I was beaten into that state of reasonless from drugs and alcohol that, that I had sat in the same intake office with the same intake coordinator four times out of my 13 attempts at treatment centers in hopes to get better. And every time I'd sit with the same woman in the same chair and she'd say to me this, okay, Mr. Novak, your insurance will cover you for 90 days. My response without fail every time was, in theory, 90 days sounds great, but in reality, I'm more of like a 45-day kind of fellow. Oh, my God. I have this woman to do, this job to fulfill, this state to go to, and she'd gently laugh at me each and every time and say, sweetheart, you have no idea. Anything and everything you put in front of your recovery does not or will not matter because it will go. May 25th, 2015, the terms of my contract have forever changed. I'm sitting in the same chair with the same intake coordinator. I had experienced such a fucking amount of pain that what I didn't understand then that I could see now is that my pain was turning into my purpose. She gives me the same offer she had given me four previous times. And on this day, when she gives me that offer, all I can do is shake my head yes. Because if I say no, that entails an explanation. For the first time in my fucking life, thank God, I was literally beaten speechless by my disease of addiction. Like, I, I'm just done. I'm done. Like, I'm, I got to the point where no matter how much heroin I shot, that moment of clarity would take place whether I was high or sober, which means every time I got high, I simply ingested just enough narcotics, which would allow me to escape my reality that I had created for myself. Therefore... It didn't matter. Not only was it like tolerable, it was almost like desirable. Because I'm like in yeah. this weird fantasy that I've created, this this false narrative, this delusional narrative that I had created to support my terrible decisions. But now I can't get high. It no longer works because I know too much. I tried too much. I'd acquired too much knowledge. And I could not deny my reality, looking at my experience. It, yes. Like, I, it, it didn't work. So, so now she gives me an offer. I can't even say no. So I just shake my head yes. And she says, sweetheart, you're in no condition to do your intake. Get up to detox. I'll see you in four days. And I walk wow. up to detox and I got my eight scars, my two jackets, the stick of deodorant, the needle, the spoon, the restraining one. And I got the gay East LA <laughs> Cholo outfit on because I, I have nothing to wear. And I get up there and there's this 19-year-old kid working. He said, Mr. Novak, you're back. And I said, aren't you a fucking genius? He said, Mr. Novak, I regret to inform you, but your clothes are not rehab-oriented. Right, you well. need, your clothes aren't rehab-oriented. You need some underwear. You need, you know, because my dick and my ass are still hanging out. Like, I have nothing. Literally hanging out. Literally, yeah. Like, so when they rob me, they, they, they ripped, it, it'd be like this, and you just rip this straight out. <sighs> so I don't have underwear on, and they rip my back pockets because they're running my pockets to get any money. So, just, so it's just fucking everything. Everything and the shirt that they ripped my shirt open and for some reason the, the top, button and I got these shoes on one shoestring yeah like that's and and people think that I I, I say that in my talk is in hopes to make them smile <laughs> this is no, like this re- is true story. my story, true story dude <laughs> um and so I walk up and 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 this kid he's so happy he's smiling he's and I want to fucking knock his head off because it had been a long time since I had smiled or found a reason to laugh about anything. And if anyone did that in my area, I took it personally and felt yes. offended. You know, fuck you, no. Yeah. You don't have the right to be happy. So he said, I'm, yeah, come with me downstairs to the donations room and we're going to see if we can find you some used underwear. <sighs> you, used underwear. 
My mother's a nuclear physicist. My brother's an attorney in the White this House. This is what you 38, 38 years old. A first man. skateboarder endorsed by Gatorade, doing a commercial with Michael Jordan, touring the world with Tony Hawk, been in movies that break box office records, New York Times selling author who's written an autobiography addiction memoir. 38 years old, standing in the basement of my 13th inpatient treatment center next to a 19-year-old kid as he hands me his phone as I light the light up because the lights don't work. It's a, this rehab costs $2 to get into. The walls are sweaty, mildewy, kind of, and, and he's and I, my eyes are watering. I'm, and he's thumbing through this box looking for a pair of second, third, fifth hand using the world. And I'm praying to God that he finds them. How the fuck did I get here? <laughs> How? What I didn't understand then that I can see now as clear as day, right? Is two things were the, were about to take place that were forever going to change the terms of my contract, the trajectory of my life. The very first thing that took place is at that moment I'm holding his cell phone. He's smiling. He's happy I'm there. I want to kill myself. I want to kill him. I'm homicidal. I'm suicidal. If you open up the English dictionary and add the word less to every word in it, that's how I feel about myself at yeah. that moment. Right there at that moment, I went from the realization of, you know what you do know? Is that you don't fucking know. And with that, he doesn't find me any use on the but he hands me a pair of size 40 women's sweatpants with no drawstring, a woman's tank top, and a pair of size 13 Jesus sandals. At that very moment, I had a direct experience, direct contact, direct meeting with the God of my understanding yes. as a direct result of that gift of desperation. The pain had become great enough that it had turned into my purpose, but I was incapable of seeing it at the moment. Yeah. With that, he hands me the women's clothing, shoes that don't fit. I was overcome with a sense of willingness unlike anything a human being could ever produce for me. Never so excited. I ran upstairs. I got a shower. I got that Baltimore City smell off me. Put these women's clothing on, shoes that did not fit. I successfully completed that 90-day treatment center, and in that 90-day program, they taught me things like that my mentality will create my reality. Yeah. And if you change your perception, you can change your world. And that one day your defects can become your assets, meaning the very same thing that was killing me on a daily basis will be the very same thing that someone would invite me onto their podcast to share in hopes to delivering a message of promise, hope, and freedom, one that does not consist of a drink or a drug. So maybe someone will believe that they can do it too. You're going to make me fucking cry, dude. You know? Uh, and, 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 and the thing is, is I, I didn't even, this isn't anything I, I just, I just, I just, I went, I, I dumbed my way into it. I outthought myself into this. You know, I had no other, I didn't want to be there, but I had nowhere else to be and no one wanted me. <laughs> Dude, you are, you are the true testament of, of making it all the way to the top, fucking losing it and building it back up, but on your own terms. Yeah. And, and, and what happened now, I can see as clear as day is that, 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 that my mother prayed me into recovery. The God of my understanding took me directly to AA, and AA via the 12 steps has brought me back to the God of my understanding, which has allowed me to see that I am in control of nothing. I take credit for nothing. I'm merely a messenger in a much bigger picture. I got two more questions. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Ooh, first is, what, what has the past six years been like? You know, you, you, you fucking hit rock bottom. Six years. So six years, what happens, what that looks like. And, and I'll give it to you real quick, real easy. 
nine months into the beginning of my sobriety, my mother, the very same one that bought me a plot, the very same woman that served me the restraining order, the very same woman that took life insurance policies out on me, the very same fucking woman that prayed for my death called me nine months into my process of sobriety. And she said, Brandon, I hate when you come to visit. I said, why? She said, because I get so sad when you leave. Right? On my two-year anniversary, I have been on parole and probation from 16 to 38. Never a free day in between. It just followed me from state to state to state. 22 months into my process of sobriety, I signed my release papers. I'm a free man that can go anywhere with anybody anytime I like. I no longer live in that self-induced prison that consists of a four-block radius that cost me $10 to get out of one bag of heroin at a time. For my two years of sobriety, I flew to Paris to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and picked up my two-year medallion. On my third year anniversary, I bought my first home. Wow. On my fourth year anniversary, I went to Amsterdam to a 12-step meeting and picked up my four-year medallion. Most people don't go to Amsterdam. This no, great no, recovery. no, but I love that. But as a direct result of that spiritual experience, I'm a free man that can go anywhere with anybody, anytime I like, and I'm no longer today tempted by a drink or a drug. Um, as a direct result of that psychic change that's taking place. On my fifth year anniversary, I bought my first ever men's recovery home. <sighs> God willing, May 25th, 2021, in about a month, I'll be celebrating six years of continuous sobriety. And what I've learned in my journey is that, we've talked about this, that the disease of addiction is not a death sentence. As long as you're breathing, it's never too late. Your history does not have to dictate your future, but it can most certainly guide and direct it. Sobriety has truly given me everything drugs and alcohol ever fucking promised me. Dude. Ever, 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 ever. Brandon Novak, you are an amazing human being. I'm just grateful, man. And you know what's funny? The the longer I stay sober, what I love, what what I know is like the less I know. Uh-huh. <laughs> so so I it's I, I just got out of my way and there were some mentors, three people in my life that believed that I I could do better, achieve more, get further, and I yes. believed that they believed in me. So I asked how and they showed me. I didn't do that. I'm not I'm not clever enough to paint myself in this big left to my own devices, I'll put this whole fucking house, your wife, your friend, this studio into a cooker and bang at my arm. <laughs> like, but you opened up, you allowed, you allowed this all to happen. Yeah. Instead of trying to dictate it yeah. on your own, which is beautiful. Um we, we talked about this before and I'm kinda of get off topic real quick. Uh what what what's going on with Jackass Four? Uh they're doing it, I think, but then with the um with COVID, it started and production shut it down. Will you be a part of it? No, I don't think so. Sorry, right, man. You so. got you got a lot more things to do. Well, yeah, a lot I'm more just, life to I give. just, you know, I'm just, I, I love those guys. They're amazing. They're doing their thing, and it's just not where I'm at with where I'm going with things. And and, and who I knows? That, I mean, we'll, we'll see. But that's just, you know, I, I'm I'm just in a different place, and, and I'm thinking about different things. And uh, it makes sense, man. No, it, it fucking makes sense. Yeah. And do you? Uh, one more thing. Do you um do you believe in aliens? I do. Absolutely. There we go. Yeah. I believe we are definitely not the uh the only life in existence in this universe, I guess you could say. Absolutely. I'm gonna close with um if anyone out there needs help and they're struggling Please. and they're in a position where 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 they need help and they can't find it on their own, you can call me directly. Fucking hell, man. Do you hear that? Six one zero six zero zero nine one seven four say it one more time six one zero six zero zero nine one 
1-800-273-7474. You can reach me directly. And remember, I'm a human being. So if, if I don't directly answer that call, one of my team members will. And I assure you, I will end up on the phone with you. Takes a village to raise a child kind of mantra. Brandon, I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart, man. Keep on doing everything that you're doing. Um, I, I thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your story. Thanks for having me. Thanks for believing in me or, or giving a fuck enough to ask me. <laughs> no, dude. Yeah, 100%, man. It's cool, man. Thank you. Thank you. Um, any last words other than that? No, man. Just, you know, the only time I had a shot at getting better is, you know, because prior to me getting better or sobriety to to fight was to win to fight was to survive to fight was to make it through another day and the only shot i had a time a chance of getting better is is, is when i accepted my loss quit fighting and admitted my loss <laughs> you know, it's like Fucking it's just hell. the exact opposite absolutely to lose in this game is to win john anything to say so where you're at now yeah in your mind frame, do you feel like how you felt that first day you got your skateboard? Uh, I, I, I do. I did more so in the beginning. And that's the funny thing about life, man. The, the longer I stay sober, um, the easier it is for me to forget the beauty in things, right? Because I've started to acquire a lot of things. I've become a busy man. My time is like very spread thin. Um, so it's funny because the world has a way of right-sizing me on a daily basis. Right. And what that looked like for me recently is I was, I got stranded in, um, in, in Monroe, Louisiana, in a very, very tough part of town um, because the airport was like two terminals and there's known to be tornadoes. And, and they kicked everyone out of the airport and the hotels were all booked. And this is like a really seedy part of town. And I had to walk the streets with my bag from like 1 a.m. from when they kicked us out of the airport until 6 a.m. when I could go back in to catch my 7 a.m. flight. And I, like, I even had money to like change my conditions. But this airport was so small, like the one person that worked at the rental car place worked as the ticket exchanger and the security guard and probably flew the plane. You know, like, like that. So, so I couldn't rent a rental car because that was closed. I couldn't get a hotel because there were none available. Uh, I couldn't do anything, and I had to walk the streets. And it's t at times like that where I'm divinely inconvenienced, just long enough to like realize the blessings that are in my life. That I'm like, wow, I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful to be sober. You know. So it's that, my that perspective. That could have been completely different if you weren't. If you would have let your yeah, mind. Yeah, I'd be like, how the fuck control? am I here? Who the fuck put me in this position? How dare? Like, fuck you. Know, no. No. Because you no. told me in treatment, if I change my perception, I can change my world. Again, I stick to the basics, dude. Fuck, man. Love it. Hey. Yeah. Hey, brother. I love Thank you, you guys. so much. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, man. All right. All right. All right. Brandon <laughs> Novak. That's it. We're done. Yes. Boom. Buzzle, buzzle. Wowzers, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I want to thank Brandon so much for coming on. This was a lot of fun. This was definitely a check mark on my bucket list. Uh, it, it was just a real honor to have him on. He's so cool. He brought some really cool dudes. Uh, also, like kind of like his entourage uh, to come and hang out. Um, 
yeah, man, it was just, it, this was a fantastic experience. And I appreciate you guys for listening. I appreciate you guys for taking your time out of your busy day to hear me say fuck and fuck and fuck. Um, but uh, yeah, if you guys want to, if you guys want to, I guess if you want to, like, subscribe, share with a friend, family member, a foe. Like I say, it uh, helps the podcast grow in a major way. And uh, remember, you can always remember, remember, you can always watch the podcast on YouTube. That's back to your story. So it's youtube.com backslash back to your story. Have a good night, people. Smooches. (laughs) I'm a fucking child. That's what Zach said. And I'm out. Peace, bitches.